Welcome back to the Two Man Wall Podcast. This is Match Week 22. I am joined by my co-host and brother, Ethan. What's up? And this week had quite the turmoil at the top of the table. A couple of fixtures that have shaken things up, given certainly fans in the red half of Manchester something to, uh, to, to, you know have their tails up at a little bit nothing nothing crazy but um well not necessarily nothing crazy but uh we'll get into all that every other week Uh, in the tail race (laughs) (laughs) well it was reborn like jesus he died on uh what died on easter rose on easter i don't know yeah i i I can't remember the bible but before we get into all that some news that popped up this week um some news that had been dormant for a while actually um that just resurfaced i guess that's how these things go um the mason greenwood trial or lack thereof i should say has been i I believe it was wasn't dismissed it was i the charges were dropped yeah mm-hmm. I, I don't exactly know the the judicial process that uh it went through or if there was one at all but it seems as though whatever rashford was accused uh, rashford I apologize to Rashford for <laughs> for mixing him into this uh this uh, this criminal activity, but uh they you know, two academy products, English academy products. Yeah. It's easy to mix them up. Uh, Greenwood, Mason Greenwood, whatever he was originally accused of has been dropped. Um, and I remember uh, back when the charges originally became public, he was removed from the squad immediately on kind of club probation i guess uh because the club just didn't want to have that as part of their squad which is honestly honorable um considering the evidence that was uh you know posted for this uh this entire thing um it just raises the question as to what to do now for united because he's technically not you know a criminal so it's it, it just what would you do in this situation yeah it's a whole obviously the actual you know court that was used in england or the charges are dropped whatever but the court of public opinion is a completely different you yeah, know yeah, yeah. completely different section and that's where united have to do their own investigation which they already said that they're going to take care of but Personally, I think regardless of what they find, like the core of public opinion has basically all agrees that Mason Greenwood is just not fit. He doesn't to be deserve a, a place United in player. football. Yeah. No. Yeah. The the evidence I've seen at least was pretty damning. Um, yeah. I couldn't believe I, I just assumed that he would just get put away for, for with all that. I guess I don't know. I, I, I'm not even going to guess because I don't want to, you know, say something that is completely like, you know, not in in the course of the, the whole situation. So, yeah. but it's, it's just, it just seems odd. That's all. Yeah. It'd be hard to think about United fans rooting for a player like that. If he, you know, steps exactly, on the field, yeah. scores a goal. So we'll see how United handles the situation. But personally, I don't think, he'll ever play for the club again i i think they'll probably just release him mm-hmm. uh I, and then it raised the question like who would pick him up and just say like hey like like what level of football would would just say like hey like we know that you pretty obviously did something very very uh you know non-negotiably bad um but you're a pretty good footballer like, is there a team that would say that? I, I hope not, but there are some level, like, struggling clubs that could use a player like Greenwood. Look, he's a very talented player, all, you know, criminal activity aside. He doesn't deserve a place in football, but he is a good soccer player. So, you know, I, I don't think anyone should pick him up, but there are absolutely some desperate clubs in the footballing pyramid that could use his talent. Hopefully they won't, but who knows. And with that, we'll move on to our main content for Match Week 22, starting off with a Worst Team Wins update. If you don't know what the Worst Team Wins competition is, it's a competition between me and Ethan. We have both built two teams, FPL draft style. Um, 
filling up 80 million worth of FPL players. If you don't know what the FPL is, all the players are given an amount one through pretty much five through 13, depending on how many points they are projected to accumulate over the course of the season, goals and assists. Um, and we are, have to fill up 80 million worth in our starting 11s to then create a team that is going to produce the least rather than the most points. Um, so let the less points, the better. And it turns out that this week I actually made some progress. Yeah, you did. This was one of the performances of the season, I'd say, <laughs> between both yeah. teams in this competition. Ten points, pretty miraculous. You had a Matt Tip masterclass, yeah. conceding three goals and having an own goal. Yes, that was... He, he had negative yeah. one. The rest of your defense didn't even play. Chalaba, Stones, and Tierney. Wonderful. Zeros across the board. Uh, I mean, Martinez conceded four to Leicester. He had a donut. Foden was injured. James Madison was the only yeah. person who had any real points on your team. Uh, he had the goal, so I think he finished with seven points. But yeah, very impressive week for Brady. Last couple of weeks, he's just made small little... Step by step. I said it last week. Journey of a yeah. 100 miles because of the single step, you know? And it's certainly more than 100 miles at this point. <laughs> yeah. So Brain's team, JC Stack for a top ends with 10 points this week. My team, Garnacho Cheese, with 20 uh and i and that tally actually isn't final yet because included in this week is the united game against leeds midweek so i'll tally that on to next week but so yeah making up ground at this pace i'll only lose by 100 points wonderful uh and that with that we'll move on to the first game we're covering this week bit of a somber one for the folks uh, on this podcast, but it must get covered anyway. We too much, too much Arsenal praise recently. We got to cleanse the palate a little bit. Everton one, Arsenal nil, and this. I'll, I'll say before we get into this at all. Let me start by saying there are thirty-eight games in a season. You play Everton twice. You could play Everton away one out of any of the thirty-eight weeks. This is by far the worst game to play Everton. (laughs) Like, the worst. And it's like, what, 2 through 37 are here? And like, like this game, worse at Everton at Goodison for Arsenal, by the way, who has not won there in five years. Has not taken a point there in five years, I don't think. (laughs) Maybe they've got taken a point, but they certainly have not taken three. They've had like one draw like a couple Um, years ago. Not only that, but they just literally shit the bed for... 21 weeks and now they get a kryptonite arsenal manager in into the team with james tarkowski and dwight mcneil in there like are you fucking kidding me like i should have seen this coming i wish should have seen this coming this is like i should have seen this coming i'm i'm literally legitimately saying this was never gonna be three points this would this would have been more impressive than any arsenal win this season on like looking back <laughs> there there's definitely an ominous cloud hanging over this Everton Arsenal fixture just leading up to it throughout the week because you play a team in the relegation zone, but then it's just it's all the little things. You know, <laughs> you're away at Goodison where you just barely ever win. You gotta play against uh Everton with a new manager bounce, a Sean Dyche new manager bounce. You knew he'd be playing the way exactly he did. You know, four four two, getting guys behind the ball. So you didn't want to be pessimistic just because of how good Arsenal have been this season. But when you look back, you think, yeah, this isn't all that surprising, yeah. is uh, it? Um, <clears throat> to point out some players for Everton that have that deserve credit, uh, Amadou Onana was spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. Like, to the point where I was like, how did he stay in January? Like, he should, like... Yeah, I, I heard... I heard Arsenal were looking at it. I heard from a friend that Arsenal had targeted him a bit. I thought, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, I haven't seen him play that much, yeah. but I'm sure he's no, like he, a solid he, player. But no, he bossed the midfield in this game. He he covered so much ground, got into every challenge, incredibly gifted technically, quick on the ball. Yeah, he's a phenomenal midfielder. All three of them. And a key yeah, uh, Onana, Gay, and Decore were all very good. Onana, the 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 star, yeah. um, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. But Dominic Calvert-Lewin had some great moments of hold-up play. Like it just seemed like. Yeah. Uh, oh, he's a dream striker yeah. for <laughs> yeah, Sean Dice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if not Ashley Barnes, 
uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, just one step below Ashley Barnes. Um, but yeah, it, and it's clear that um, Sean Dyche knew how to throw Arsenal off their game. They, again, Arsenal are not going to show up for all 38 games and play prime, you know, EPL title winning football. But like, they showed up and they they did almost a, a lot of what. Newcastle did, which was work their asses off in midfield. They doubled Saka. They doubled Martinelli. You can see it every single time. Dwight McNeil, same thing that Joe Linton did uh, in the Newcastle game. Dwight McNeil came down and doubled Saka because Saka likes to like do the Grealish thing where he like slows it down and then blows past you on the yeah. left. So like whenever Zach, Saka slowed down, it allowed Dwight McNeil to come and double, and then Saka had to come cycle it back. Um, which I don't think, uh. Man United did very well because they completely isolated Shaw, and that's part of the reason why um, Saka did get his goal uh, last week. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a tactical, you know, a, a damn near masterclass from uh, from Sean Dyche. I, I, I won't say masterclass because it's not like he tailored this these tactics to Arsenal. It's kind of like just the way he plays. Mm-hmm. He he orients his team is just a struggle to play against, and for a team that just went from Frank Lampard tactics and one week had to learn these Sean Dyche tactics and implemented them to the point where they're beating one of the hottest teams in the world right now. Like, all credit to the players, all credit to Sean Dyche, seriously. Yeah, you mentioned the Newcastle game, and you could see a similar type of frustration from the Arsenal players as they did in the Newcastle game where they just couldn't find a way through the Everton defense that once they got on the ball at times they just seemed to try and force certain passes just because it wasn't happening and they needed things to start happening as soon as possible when you're having the type of season that Arsenal is having where you're playing such free-flowing soccer getting so many good opportunities just slicing through teams and it's just not happening you just want the chances to come as soon as possible and I think they lost a bit of their patience at times in that game and they had a couple of chances none clear-cut but they need to be clinical and they weren't I mean Trossard had a chance or two Saka had one cleared off the line these aren't chances I necessarily expect them to score but in these types of games those are chances you have to score to take all three points and Everton's quality of chances were higher than Arsenal's they had the one in the first half with Calvert-Lewin getting a toe on it. I don't know how that didn't go in. absolutely free yeah. in the box. Yeah, I don't know how that didn't go in either. But no, this was a deserved Everton win. And so the question becomes for Arsenal, was this a one-off performance or is this a sign of things to come? I, it's tough to tell because, um, you know, I, as I've watched, I followed this league for years and years and years now. It's, it's very, very difficult especially with the the thin the thinness of the squad like uh, Arsenal are arguably one of the thinnest squads to ever you know be dominating a Premier League like this uh, at least in in recent years um so like when you're not rotating and like all these players are going like 90 minutes every single week it's like they're going to have bad games and they're going to have good games like Saka was brilliant last week because they it was it was the Emirates it was United there was energy and it just felt like there was a little bit of a hangover in this game and he kind of just it's it's just tough and it's mentality thing too like they Arsenal have had such a brilliant mentality all season like it's bound to slip up at some point this is kind of just a perfect storm in some sense Goodison Sean Dice like Everton fans at Goodison are some of the most passionate in the whole world and they're getting a new manager and it, you know especially early in that game when Everton were gener- generating chances the crowd got into it. it it's just it's a tough place to play and it's we're kind of on this hangover from these last two games the North London derby and uh and United so yeah I I do think this is a one-off performance I think I'm I'm glad the next game's at home because we kind of need the fans to re-energize this team a little bit and you know, let's not forget Gabriel Jesus still is not part of this team. They've put in some of their best performances of the, of the season in mm-hmm. the last five games, and they've all been with Eddie and Ketty at striker. Now, Eddie and Ketty has been very good, but Gabriel Jesus, let's not forget how brilliant he was for when he was playing for this team before the World yeah. Cup. He was phenomenal, and maybe not scoring goals like Eddie and Ketty was, but he was when the team was had 
15, 20 minutes of lulls and just not generating chances. He would bully a center back off the ball, get in, like, get in behind. Like, he is a spark that, you know, if Arsenal do stutter again at the weekend against Brentford, that Arsenal are going to need is that Gabriel Jesus. Because Eddie Nketiah had kind of like a Eddie Nketiah-ish performance a little bit. He was he had a shot point blank. Mm. Well, it was just outside the six on the right side, where he could he could have either slotted it or just smashed it in, and he put it. He just completely mishit it, and it wasn't like he was pressured or anything. The ball was kind of sitting, and he just completely shanked it, which is kind of like an old Enketia thing. But it it just I think Jesus one it I there's kind of been this conversation of uh, among Arsenal Twitter of like does Jesus get his spot back once he's healthy. I don't think it's even a question that he gets a spot back. He should absolutely get a spot back. Eddie Nketiah, I and I feel bad for Nketiah. I feel so. I wish we could take Nketiah and put him in another like at the striker for Dortmund or something. Like give him every opportunity to score. I think he could be a fantastic player. He's cert- I didn't think so before the season, but the last couple of games have showed me that he is certainly clinical enough to be a striker at this level. However, you cannot bench Gabriel Jesus. He has been ridiculously good when he's played. You 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 have to put Gabriel Jesus back if you want to pull Gabriel Jesus in the 65th for Eddie and Ketia. You know, Ketia usually came in the 75th or something like that. If you want to put him in the 65th because he's earned that, maybe I feel bad for Ketia because he deserves the minutes. But I don't know. It, it, uh, you asked me, well, is this going to be a one? Is this a one-off performance? I'm saying yes because I think Jesus brings a spark, and they're going home next uh, next weekend, and I think the crowd's going to be a spark too. So yes, it is going to be a one-off performance, long-windedly. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you, and I won't get too much into it because you pretty much touched upon everything I already feel, uh, especially in terms of the Jesus-Niketia debate. Yes, Niketia has been playing great, but he is a striker who plays well in the box but doesn't necessarily get you into the box, and that's what Arsenal really need against Everton. A striker with a bit more approach play, drops deep, does a bit more to get you into that position. So... Yeah, a one-off performance from Arsenal. Arsenal have done enough this season to deserve, you know, a one-off performance and to not be criticized for it. And again, the Arsenal community has been very supportive of Arsenal. They're saying, okay, not a good performance, but it's a one-off. We move. Yeah, which is kind of a testament to how they've been in the stadium, too, when we've gone down a goal and stuff. So, Yeah. Um, Wolves 3... Liverpool nil, bad to worse for Liverpool. A uh, couple Wolves signings, Robbie and Cunha coming in straight into the starting lineup. Uh, Cunha's been in the lineup for a while now, but uh, Sarabia coming in. Um, just Moetes Cunha, they just signed yeah. from Atletico. Yeah, I think he's had a couple games under his belt, no? Yeah, uh, one or two, but um, th- this is really the game where he made like big. Yeah, impact. you can say that about a lot of Wolves players, and Wolves have. Not, not been spectacular this season by any measure, and they no they they just took it to Liverpool, and Liverpool look just I I can't even put my finger on it because they have guys like Mo Salah who were like Ballon d'Or candidates, and now they're just it just looks it it it's one of those things that it doesn't matter how much soccer you watch in your life, you just won't be able to figure out. It's it's a beautiful game, soccer, because there's so many reasons why you could play like shit, and I can't figure this one out. I I can't, and I don't think Klopp can either. I, I, maybe it's a mentality thing, or just the like just piles up and go behind by a goal on an own goal, nonetheless. Like, just is it bad luck? Like, it can't be bad luck at this point. They're sitting tenth. Like, I don't know injuries. Maybe like Van Dyke's not in this team anymore, but he hasn't even been great this season when he's been in. Like, it's just. It's very, very confusing, and I said this almost every time we've covered a Liverpool loss. It's just very confusing why this team is playing so poorly. Yeah, I mean, you could blame the defensive woes on the loss of Van Dyke any day of the week, sure. But what's more worrying is what's going on up top in that front three of Salah, Gakpo, and yeah, Gakpo. Nunez. Gakpo's been involved. Gakpo was involved in more goals than any other player in Europe before. He signed for Liverpool, and he's barely had a good shot on target, let alone a goal, since he's signed for Liverpool. I mean, it is really hard to explain. In this game, 
it wasn't for a lack of chances, but a lot, unfortunately, a lot of these chances fell for Nunez. And listen, <laughs> it's not like he's, it's not like he's missing open goals, but you just see week in, week out, these semi breakaways, these solid chances yeah. just going awry. Like he's got to score one or yeah. two of them. And when it's not going your way as a striker, it just gets that much more difficult to break the yeah. drought. And certainly Liverpool are in one of the worst dry spells I've ever seen. And as, as for what's going on with this Liverpool team as a whole, I personally just think that Liverpool's style of play, the Gegenpress, just isn't what it was. I don't know what exactly is causing that. Maybe there's just a general just drop in intensity. Maybe the midfield players, I know in midfield, again, with injuries, they've been shifted around a bit. They have guys like Harvey Elliott now playing in midfield while, you know, at the peak of their powers, they had guys like Jorginho Wijnaldum in there, Jordan Henderson in there. And perhaps maybe they were just more suited to playing the game press because, again, of course, pressing always comes with a risk. If you don't do it right, you're leaving yourself exposed. Mm -hmm. And that certainly seems to be the case for Liverpool this season. So, yeah, uh, maybe either Klopp has to get his team to press in the right way or maybe just switch up the way he plays entirely. But something's got to give because Liverpool can't just wait around for their fortunes to turn. Exactly. I, I just think they're, that this team when it was flying, when it won the Premier League. I mean, you got a lot of, like, the heartbeat of the of the buildup was through the wings. Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold, they're still here. They're still full fitness, have been for the whole season. Like, I think, if looking at this team, if I had to pinpoint it, I would maybe say that this whole structure of this team is to use the wings. And to kind of like collapse the the forwards in on themselves and use the false nine, or use Firmino as like you know make all these jokes about Firmino not scoring, like that's because he he was played as almost like a a ten, like he was he he would he yeah. would draw center backs in to then get Salah and Mane mm-hmm. through over the top and create that space. Nunes can't do that. Nunes is a is a like a no. is a over the top guy. So yeah, Nunes is. More in behind than any other striker. So I, I just think it creates this like, like, spacing issue on the field where Nunez, in mm. order for for them to utilize and Trent, by the way, you know we've shit on Trent all season. He's not having a good season, but he's still got the quality going forward. He's still a fantastic crosser of the ball. Yeah. Same thing with Robertson. But the reason you haven't heard much is because they their formation it's set up so that. They have a nine, and then they use Mo Salah's left foot, which has not been a true Mo Salah left foot this season, let, mm-hmm. let's be honest here, to kind of use the wings and then find Salah, find uh, Mane before, but now Gakpo. But Gakpo's kind of like this 10 converted winger, and then Nunez yeah. is like filling the space that Salah and Gakpo want to fill because they're kind of they want to play inverted wings, and then that they're kind of not there's no 10 on the field it's just like tiago as a advanced eight and nabi keita as like just a ball progressor uh basetich i i i probably butchered that but um a lot of liverpool fans on twitter thought that was one of the bright spots uh basetich maybe just because the whole team played like shit and he played fine like i'm not sure but it just seems like there's so many it's just completely unbalanced this whole formation and you know, shut out for three games in a row. I guess you know, can't nobody can really argue with that. Yeah, I mean, there's a stat here that I just have to read, <laughs> which is that Leicester center back Wout Face has been Liverpool's top goal scorer since the World Cup Brilliant. break. Of course, his two own goal performance uh, in December attributing to that, but that is just a horrifying statistic to read if you're a Liverpool yeah. fan. When you look at the sheer quality in that attack. Look at that attack. Yeah. That is on paper just absolutely phenomenal and you think about the players who are injured for them right now, Firmino, Jota, Luis Diaz, like the attacking options they have. It's 
It's it's mind boggling, and we we can theorize all we want, but it's really hard to come up with an answer. And not only that, but we'll we'll get into the the transfer window at the at the, towards the end of the podcast. But they didn't even look to strengthen. Uh, did they make a signing? Yeah, yeah Gakpo. Gakpo was a one signing. That, that was it. Uh, I mean, it's clear that they need a, 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 a creative midfielder. And they're just they, – they just weren't ambitious in the window. And whether that's a, a Klopp thing, whether he trusts his guys, or whether that's a management thing. I know that uh, in the last, you know, couple of years, uh, Fenway Sports Group has not gotten the highest of praise among fans for their ambition. But it just – I don't know. It just – a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on at Liverpool, but I will say this is that uh, Liverpool fans on Twitter were more forgiving of Klopp this time. They basically not not more forgiving. They kind of like just wrote this season off, and they're like, okay, like this season is shit. Bag it up, throw it in the trash. We should give Klopp the summer to figure this out. Like they they are looking ahead and saying. Klopp shouldn't lose his job over this because we don't know if it's his fault right now because nobody can figure out why this team is playing so bad. Like, if Darwin Nunez finished half his chances, they'd probably be sitting fifth. So, like, give him the summer. He'll figure it out. We trust him. Which is uh, noble, I will say, considering some of the stuff I saw earlier in the season when they started this downfall. So, uh, I'll give give him to Liverpool fans credit where credit is due. They were a little forgiving. But it just, again, I'll say it again. It's just absolutely confusing to me. Um, and to a lot of Liverpool fans, I would say, as well. And finally, the final game of the weekend, and the uh, ultimate game of the weekend, I would say, the the big six tie for the weekend. Tottenham won, Manchester City 0. Arsenal bailed out after losing to Everton by their happy North London rivals, Tottenham Hotspur take all three points at home. Man City have yet to score a goal at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which is just a phenomenal statistic for a team that is the top goal scorer in the league every single year. Um, (laughs) But this one was not the typical, you know, Tottenham swing on the counterattack with Sun and then City just blow all their chances because of a curse. This one was, it just didn't look like a classic Tottenham win. They kind of were more confident. They stuck their chest out a little bit. They had a little more possession than you might think. That um, Kane obviously getting the goal and becoming Spurs' all-time leading goal scorer. Congratulations to Harry Kane. Um, but it just and, and looking at this formation. Let me let me before we get into kind of the game analysis here. This City team was kind of weak like no De Bruyne they were playing five forwards Holland Alvarez Grealish Silva and Mares Silva maybe a, as a midfielder but like uh, <clears throat> Rico Lewis Nathan Ake Manuel Akanji Kyle Walker was their back line no Laporte no Diaz like obviously they sold Cancelo you make your own opinion on whether Cancelo should get into this team over Rico Lewis certainly Guardiola had his say but like no De Bruyne, no Gunduan, um, no Foden. Like it just this team didn't like if they could throw this team on the field at Tottenham away and get three points, like that's very, very impressive in my opinion. And looking at the squad half an hour before the game, I was like, this is a if Tottenham are gonna win, it's against this fucking team. Like I don't know if you think about that. Yeah, I mean definitely the one that sticks out is Kevin De Bruyne. I mean, I was looking and he was fit for this game and they brought him yeah. on and they certainly looked better when he was on the field uh i mean city rotate a lot so all the other uh starting lineup decisions like bernardo silva doesn't necessarily surprise me but kdb was really the big one yeah. that's just really hard to believe but getting into the performance a bit uh the second half as you might expect spurs were sitting a lot deeper and weren't quite pressing as much as they did in the first half but in that first half city were just really slow in possession which was just surprising to me and spurs didn't look like at first they were planning on you know pressing high up the field i mean conte wasn't even on the sideline so you expect that they'd 
go with their typical just sit back, you know, invite the pressure, and then work on the counterattack. But City were moving this ball so slowly out of the back that they just invited Spurs yeah. pressure that eventually led to the goal. That's where yeah. Rodri gave the ball away to Hoybier and he poked it through the cane for the opener and the winner. So just a very uncharacteristic City performance, especially in that first half, especially from Rodri. I mean, he, he was the one who's really culpable for that goal. Yeah. So... For a team that doesn't press and a team that routinely press breaks, it's very odd that the winner and only goal came off of Tottenham completely like closing in on the City press and them giving it up in the box to Rodri, nonetheless, who has been one of the best ball progressors in the whole league, undisputedly. Like, If if you want anybody to have the ball at their feet in your own half, in in the Premier League, arguably, it's Rodri. Yeah, and you know, similarly, uh, I would say the same about Thomas Party, and he had a very poor performance against yeah. um, Everton. Whether that was a um, question of his lingering injury, I'm not entirely sure. But uh, you know, similarly, it it just goes to show, like Casemiro, um, he having that player that is very good at press break kind of opens up the whole team. Party has done the same thing for Arsenal, and Rodri is continuously that guy for Manchester City. Breaks down one time, and the ball's in the back of the net. Um, and it's, it, I'll get into some of the other stories from the game. Poland didn't didn't show up in this game. Like this is one of the things you 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 see um, from strikers when they just don't get service. Um, they just they don't they're not part of the game whatsoever. And that's kind of the way it was with Holland. And I guess you know thirty eight games in a season, he plays every ninety minutes. He's gonna have some some games where he's just not a factor. But um, you know he only needs one chance. Everybody knows that. But what I I'm not gonna give myself any credit for for uh for you know anything I said preseason about Holland. But when I said how I could he could get injured and not score a goal for the rest of the season, I'm already wrong about Holland. Let me just put that. Let me preface by saying that. However, before the season when I said why I thought Holland would stutter, it was in these type of games against these type of teams, where the other team's up a goal, they don't need another one the it's clear that Holland is one of the greatest the best goal scorers in the league there the center backs are going to communicate and you know pass off Holland make sure he's always covered at all times and in a low block defense it's going to be very difficult to get him into the game and there are other strikers that like Gabriel Jesus for example that would have gotten into the game and would have helped their team score goals Holland is not that kind of striker however you give him one chance in the box and he will put it in the back of the net he didn't end up getting that chance today. Yeah. And that was kind of the way it was. I mean, it really is similar to the Niketia Jesus debate where, yeah. again, once that ball gets into the box, Holland is the guy you want. But if the supply into the box isn't there and you're looking for players who can get you to that point on the field, Holland isn't the best player for that. And, of course, he's developing his game under Guardiola. But that's kind of how you see this pattern this season where Holland barely has a touch in these sorts of games, but has a hat-trick against Wolves. Sort of, you know, when it rains, it pours type of thing. So the question is, is that beneficial for City? As of right now, it doesn't look like it because they didn't have a striker last season and they were winning the Prem. So... (laughs) Uh, Whether that's a testament to the surrounding environments or uh-huh. the team itself it's tough to tell but i agree that that it that is interesting to think about um i don't know how many points they had at this stage of the season last year without a striker um but it it probably wasn't i don't know i, I certainly city looked like a stronger team last year and I, I, like they lost raheem sterling as well um which could be a factor but it, they definitely uh, looking just the eye test, honestly. They, they were like, eight points like, better off last season. Last year? By 21 There games. you go. So, who knows? Who Who's to say, really? But I, I agree that it just... they When you're not just throwing balls into Holland and him getting his head on three of them and scoring a hat-trick, like, that's great. 
you get three points, but like that's not going to happen every week, unfortunately. And when you're working balls through Foden, through Sterling, through De Bruyne, and it's just it's coming from all these different places, it's just it's much harder to stop. And over the course of ninety minutes, you're not going to be able to stop all those different avenues, rather than just like you know playing three in the back and just literally. I'm sure Tottenham all week just like put one of their academy forwards in there and we're just like pat like make sure you mark this guy pass him off like treat him like holland like they game planned for him and they did a very good job with it so credit to tottenham hotspur uh conte's tactics certainly have had their <clears throat> downfalls this season but in this game very very sound so to finish off match week 22 content i'll bring you some scores from around the ground starting off with Chelsea nil, Fulham nil, which I texted Ethan after this was done, and let's do a, we'll do some mini coverage on this game. Um, I texted Ethan after this was done, and I said this is my favorite nil nil of the season because just obviously, look, obviously eight new players coming into the team, like the it wasn't going to be cohesive immediately, but to to draw at home to Fulham and arguably deserve to lose, maybe. Because they, they full of had their chances. Um, after spending $600 million in a season, yeah. it's, just, it's just very funny. Obviously, there's a lot of other factors. And uh. it, honestly, it's a very difficult game to win after bringing in that many players, mm. especially in the form they're on. So, like, this, is, this kind of had a draw written all over it, if you're being real about it. Enzo Fernandez coming in on, on, like, one day of training, coming right into the starting 11. Like, um... It's just like it was very, very comical. I'm glad this happened. I'm not saying that like, oh, the like the signings mean nothing at this point. Like, who knows? They're all young too. But like, it's just a very fun game to watch. And I was laughing every time they like Enzo Fernandez gave the ball away because I'm like, that's funny. That's just funny. Yeah, no, the the irony of it is great. And whenever they pan to Todd Bowley, like rolling his eyes, just slumping <laughs> back in this chair, like, oh, oh, it was great. It it was great. And of course, like you said, it means nothing. Like. No one's expecting this club to yeah. spend three hundred million and make them title winners in a day. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, it's all it's all in good fun. <laughs> Brighton won, Bournemouth nil. Guess who? Kaoru Matoma gets the winner in the eighty seventh minute. Can't say much more. I mean, enjoy while you last, uh, Brighton fans, because mm-hmm. there's no fucking way he's making it through the summer. Because Chelsea's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea or Arsenal? Because the you, Arsenal, you see you see that Mudrick right. performance. They they got to spend another yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. million. <laughs> Manchester United two, Crystal Palace one. Storyline here, not just that Rashford got uh, back on the goal sheet, was that Casemiro got sent off in the seventieth minute for a non-soccer play, chokes out Will Hughes. Um, a lot of people were arguing like this wasn't a red card. Like, I don't, I think you definitely want to give this as a red card to set a precedent. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, was he actually, like, you know, restricting his yeah. air channel? No. But, like, you can't look at that and say, like, mm. okay, that's not foul play. No. Because it is foul play. Like, I'm sure a lot worse things are said and done, like, off camera. Like, it just, you can't have that on camera, look at it at VAR, and then not give a red card. No, so, that absolutely I, I has to be a red card. Yeah. Uh, but. Man United get three points and their title chances. Eight points back. Arsenal will game in hand, but eight points back. Um, match week 22. Anything's possible. Brentford three, Southampton nil. Another three points for Brentford. Fantastic season they're having. Um, ben being the 41st. Brian Umbuomo. Umbuomo, sorry. In the 44th. And then Matthias Jensen in the 80th to seal it. Solid, solid Brentford performances. Uh, you know, Brentford teams realistically should not be putting in the solid performances regardless of the uh, of the opponent, and they just continue to roll, which is credit to them, credit to everything they're doing over there because they got it going on. And right now they're sitting Seven. seventh yeah, in this Brighton-Brentford-Fulham zone right above Chelsea-Liverpool, and it's it's nice to see because, you know, they're kind of like the the money ball team. Like they don't spend a ton of money, but they use analytics and stuff. So it's nice for yeah. the game. No, absolutely. I mean, they haven't lost a game since October. They've won four of their last five. 
and they're coming to the Emirates next week. It's not going to be an easy one for Arsenal. Absolutely not. Aston Villa 2, Leicester City 4. Aston Villa go up 2-0 after 32 minutes. Oh, no, they don't, actually. It's Watkins in the ninth, then the Madison equalizer in the 12th. Then a Sutar own goal gives the the home team the lead 2-1. And then Iheanacho in the 41st, new signing Tete in the 47th, 45 plus 2, that is. And then Dennis Pratt in the 79th to seal it. What a roller coaster of a game this was. Um, it's the possession stats show 64 36 Aston Villa, which kind of shows what game kind of game this was. It was just Leicester City just taking their chances pretty much. Um, and you know, Unai Emery team conceding four goals is, is not Unai Emery team with you know the World Cup goalkeeper of the tournament, uh, back there conceding four goals is definitely something that's relatively eye opening. But you know, Aston Villa's de- defense hasn't been rock solid this season so um this is not out of character but certainly out of character for leicester city to be scoring four goals in a game that's for sure yeah uh newcastle won west ham won newcastle dropping points to west ham a big four team top four team newcastle dropping points to west ham um calm wilson getting it started in the third minute Lucas Paquette equalizing in the 32nd and that's how it would end nice points for west ham nice points for david moises hot seat because uh he certainly needs performances like this if he's going to keep his job in the next coming weeks yeah first goal newcastle can see in like seven premier league games or something yeah crazy yeah. like that so no all all credit to west ham for breaking the uh the deadlock and finally nottingham forest one leads united nil look at nottingham forest go up to 13th in the table they are six points clear of relegation right now and for a team that was sitting 20th and you know not looking like there was many ways out for this team they have absolutely put together some fantastic performances and this is this is just what you need to do if you're avoiding a relegation battle get the goal get the win points are points and get out of there seriously yeah Three wins in their last five, undefeated in those five games. So, fantastic form for them. I really think it was the 29th signing that pushed them over the edge. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God they made it because they're they're really starting to think, you know what, 26, 27, something's got to give. Just a couple more and we'll be there. And, hey, they stuck with it. (laughs) And that will round out our Match Week 22 coverage for this week. We will kick off some Match Week 23 coverage with... Our goal picks. If you're unfamiliar with the goal picks competition, it's another season-long competition competition between me and Ethan. In this one, we each look at the upcoming matches for the upcoming match week, and we try to pick three players that we think are going to score in the upcoming match week. The catch is, is that the other person can block three players. So if I go ahead and I take three picks, Ethan, behind his screen, has three blocks. If any of my picks, he blocks he gets to instead choose a player for me instead of that player. So, would you like to tell me your picks, Ethan? Not before I give an update on last week's picks. Go for it. <laughs> uh, not a whole lot of goals between the two sets of picks from last week. No blocks, which is fairly unusual as of late. But there was one goal, courtesy of Karuma Toma, for... My picks, all my picks were Brighton players. I had Evan Ferguson and Pascal Gross. I was expecting a couple more goals from Brighton in that game, but I'll take the one. And that trumped Brighton's tally of zero from Niketia Kulosevsky and Mudrick. So that brings the season tally to 17 goals for me and 10 for Brighton. Now would you like to give me your picks? Sure. So with my first pick, I'm going to go with Harry Kane. A uh, bit of an obvious pick, but he's been on fantastic form, and I believe he's playing Leicester, who, despite their new defensive signings, which I do like and am impressed with, they still leak a lot of goals, so surely Spurs will grab a couple there. Um, my next pick is Watkins. I think that with Danny Ings out of the picture going to West Ham, He's going to get a lot more minutes and 
he scored against Leicester last week. I hope he'll do it again this week. And with my final pick, I'm going to go with Wout Weghorst. Uh, <laughs> I really like this United matchup this week away at a floundering uh, lead side. Actually, they they play Leeds twice this week. <laughs> On when, Wednesday and Sunday. So, surely in two games against Leeds. <laughs> United striker has got to manage at least one goal. So, those are my picks for the week. Who can I have? You can't have Veghorst. Wow. I'm kidding. You oh. can have Veghorst. <laughs> uh, I, I would, I'm not blocking about Veghorst. Uh, you, can't ha- you can't have Kane. I did block oh. Kane. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't have a bigger reaction to me potentially blocking Val Veghorst. <laughs> what? I mean, he scored two goals against Argentina in the World Cup. Like, <laughs> <laughs> This ain't Argentina. Like, he's not this just a joke of a Burnley striker anymore. He's... This isn't an undisciplined... He's real deal. Poorly, yeah. Anyway. Yes, you cannot have Harry Kane. You can't have Val Veghorst, but you cannot have Harry Kane. You can instead have Stuart Armstrong. All right. My picks. First one, I'm going with Dayan Kulishevsky again because he's going to score at some point. Um, I like this matchup this week. He's got Leicester City, same one you had, same one you scouted. Um, Leicester City leaking. That's that's what they call him, Leicester City leaking. <laughs> uh, second one, Mateus Cunha, new Wolves signing, had a good game against Liverpool. He didn't score against Liverpool. Um and if you can't score against Liverpool, I'm not sure when you're scoring, but I'm hoping at some point he gets on the score sheet. And the third one is Jack Grealish. I've liked what I've seen out of Jack Grealish recently. Uh they got a game against Aston Villa this week who just conceded four. Um and I didn't want to pick Holland because I think you might have blocked him. So I'm going with Jack Grealish. What what do I got? You got all three. Alright. Uh... Yeah, uh, I was on the right track with a non-Holland City player. Uh, I picked Alvarez. Uh, my other two were Mitrovic and Bruno Fernandez. I was dangerously close to picking Cunha, though. Okay. I, I actually was thinking about him for a good minute. But yeah, no, you can have him. Good pick. All right. And with that, we'll move on to our predictions for match week 20 starting off with Liverpool hosting Everton at Anfield. This is a very tasty fixture, especially right now. What do you got? Uh, well, I think this is going to be in terms of atmosphere. I think it could be very similar to the one that we saw at Goodison this week. Uh, a team in their worst form in years playing in a big match that the fans are going to be desperately up for just because they need something to go their way. Uh, but Everton looked really good against Arsenal under Dyche, but I think a large part of that is the fact that they were at home. I mean, that support from the Goodison crowd was monstrous, and it, I think it really helped them in their first game especially. Um, and on the other hand, Liverpool have been just shambolic. They were shambolic against Brighton, shambolic against Wolves, and they're not scoring goals, and... The last thing you want to see is Sean Dyche's 4-4-2 when you're on a big goal draft. Uh, so I'm going to go with 1-1. I can't see Liverpool not scoring again, especially at home. But honestly, I can't find a good reason to say they're going to come out on top. So 1-1. I, this is nil-nil. Like, this is, this is as nil-nilly It seems too obvious to be nil-nil. No, no. <laughs> It's too easy to pick no no. I'm, but it's going to be no no. Like, it's going to be no no. Like, what? A, te- a, a Sean Dyche team playing a team, uh, a big six, big six team. I did air quotes for all those listening. A big yeah. six team that um, that has been in a ridiculous goal drought and they're just going to walk into a game against Sean Dyche's revved up Everton team in a Derby game and score a goal. Unless it's a random handball penalty or a deflected shot or an own goal or something, some craziness, the ball is not going in the net. They are not scoring a conventional goal in this game. And Everton can fucking win this game. Well, nothing. They could they could do the same thing we did against Arsenal. They looked very, very 
by the way, I didn't point out in the Arsenal Everton segment that the Everton every corner for Everton went to the back post with ridiculous consistency by the way like every single corner was like a very very consistent like basically hit like the corner of the six on the far side and that's just very difficult for one the goalkeeper and two like all the center backs in a zone which is what arsenal play i feel like a man zone combination um so like liverpool are gonna have a lot of trouble with that and james tarkowski could get right back on the go- on the score sheet in this game but i this this game has nilliest nil nil ever in my opinion, even more nil nil than Liverpool Everton. I mean, uh, Liverpool uh, Chelsea the other week, um, and that ended up nil nil. So I'm going nil nil again. And then for the second game, there is no clear game that we should be predicting this week in terms of tastiness. So I'm going to randomize a number, one through ten, and that's the game we're going to predict right off the cuff. Uh, number randomizer, one through ten. Number six, one, two, three, four, five, six. Southampton Wolves at Southampton. What do you got? Yeah, this could be an interesting game. Um, both of them, both teams, obviously towards the foot of the table. Uh, but Wolves definitely look the more impressive side last week. It'll be a it'll be a close game, I think. But I could see Wolves edging this one, two one. I'd say. 2-1 Wolves over Southampton. Yeah, I don't I don't think Southampton has given us any reason to believe that they will take certainly three points in this game. Um but Wolves look re-energized with Sarabia and Cunha. Yeah, uh Neves looked very good in the last game. Uh I think they might be hitting a little bit of a stride here. Uh I'll give them credit for it. I'm gonna go with 2-0. And for our closing segment this week. We'll be doing a little bit of uh, overall January transfer window coverage, doing some winners and some losers from the deadline, uh, from deadline day, from the transfer window in general, but deadline day included, obviously. Um, Each of us have one winner and one loser. Ethan, would you like to start off by giving us your winner from the January transfer window? Yeah, uh, my winner for... January transfer window. I'm not going to say they had the best window of any team, but definitely benefited a lot uh, is Leicester City. I think that they made a couple of really smart signings and were efficient in the players they did sign. Uh, they signed Victor Christensen, a uh, center back from FC Copenhagen. Shout out to Braden there. <laughs> uh, for $15 million, uh, Danish left back. And... Also signed Harry Suter from Stoke City, the uh, Australian center back who impressed a lot at the World Cup. Six foot six, so big man. Uh, but Leicester definitely uh, need to address the defensive issues in the team, especially from set pieces. No doubt that Harry Suter will help out with that. He did have an own goal, of course, against Aston Villa, but shit happens. It was his first game. Uh, he is a very good center back, though. But Definitely the signing that impressed the most in that game was Tete, uh, the Brazilian winger from Shakhtar. Uh, I think he's on a permanent deal. It could be a loan. It's confusing because I think he was on loan at Leon from Shakhtar. And then I think they may have signed him permanently from Shakhtar and then just like cut the loan with Leon. But nonetheless, he had a fantastic debut against Aston Villa looks really direct always looking to go forward grabbed himself a goal uh and definitely just a, the spark that this Leicester team needed with James Madison back in the team give him you know a good weapon like Tete they got rid of you know some of the other wingers who are really just becoming dead weight like Iose Perez and Mark Albrighton yeah. uh I think Leicester have really just been very efficient this window. They narrowed down their targets. They know where they knew where they needed to strengthen, and they did that. So I think Leicester could really kick on from this. I agree. They definitely needed something. Um, and I I'll say it again. Like I I still believe in Brendan Rodgers. I still believe in that team. They definitely still have the talent to maybe not make like a ton out of the season, but certainly rise from where they are currently. Um, and yeah, like 
in a window, you don't need to go out and make brilliant, especially in January. Like, you don't need to go out and just shock the world in January. You just need to strengthen. And if players are disgruntled, again, like, it's not easy to tell on surface level, but if players are disgruntled behind the scenes, get them out, get them loan moves, get them moves away, satisfy their needs too. Like, it doesn't need to be a, an earth-shattering window to have a, to be a winner in the window. It just needs to kind of supplement and use the January transfer window to your advantage. And that's what they did. And for my winner is another team that did that. It's Nottingham Forest. Um, they got Danilo, who's a midfielder from Palmeiras, 21 years old, for 18 million, which for Nottingham Forest is is you know a little bit of a sum, 18 million, nothing to sneeze at. Um, Felipe from Atletico Madrid, who is Brazilian center back, a little bit of a veteran, um, for two million, which is I think a pretty good deal. I, I don't know how old he is; he could be like 37 for all I know, but. It, to bring him in, to bring in some veteran center back, I get another veteran, John Joe Shelby. That's a name you probably haven't heard in a while. <laughs> um, from Newcastle United, um, you know, rock solid figure for that Newcastle United team. Now he was pretty much dead weight, and they got him out. <laughs> um, he, he, you know, Nottingham Forest up one nothing in a game, bringing on John Joe Shelby to solidify the midfield. Fucking, I don't know. That that seems like a decent signing, John Joe Shelby. He's probably not too much of a a contributor at this point in his career, but if not, if they didn't pay too, it's undisclosed at this time. They didn't pay too much for him, which I assume was probably pennies, if anything at all. Um, yeah, I, it could end up being a good signing. And then the big one, the one that completely raised my eyebrows when I saw it, Kalor Navas on loan from PSG. This is one of the signings of the year for me. Kalor Navas is still like arguably a top five goalkeeper in the world. Like he is still very, very good shot stopper. If, if, uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma didn't transfer to PSG, he would be the like undisputed PSG, uh, number one. Yeah. And like, he's, he's still a phenomenal goalkeeper. Nottingham Forest, Nottingham Forest of all teams brought him in. The team that was like fighting for relegation. Like this is, an unbelievable signing. I'm assuming they're paying a decent amount of his salary to get him over here, um, which is probably pretty hefty knowing PSG really don't give a shit about money over there. <laughs> but, like, this is still a, on like on loan. This is a, still very, very, no, very good I, signing. I couldn't and, believe it when I saw it. <laughs> like, this is a very good signing. And uh, it was Dean Henderson back there, I believe, who is having, like, a fine season. Like, yeah, he's Dean, Dean Henderson. Like, Dean Henderson was having a good season, too. Like, they absolutely didn't really need to make this transfer, but they just did. I it's I just, just really I love cool. it. And <laughs> I can't believe nobody's done this. Like, there are so many teams that could use goalkeepers like that. Like, fucking United could have done this and replaced De Gea, although De Gea has his moments. But, like, there are so many teams that could have done this. And Nottingham Forest just went ahead and did it. I'm assuming Kaylor Navas has been pushing to get out of that club for the last year after they signed Donnarumma. So this just makes a lot of sense. Uh, moving on, Gustavo Scarpa from Palmeiras on a free. Um, not sure too much about him, but he wasn't really the highlight of the window. And then Chris Wood from Newcastle on loan, which for a team that's battling relegation, that's a good signing. That's a good signing. He's going to get you another six, seven goals this season. Like, that, that you stick him up there and you put him in on set pieces and he's going to get you at least three points this season, minimum three points this season, even if you bring it off the bench. So I, I love this window. Uh, their outs were, I'm assuming a, a couple of lone guys who, who needed to, uh, to find some new homes, but this is, this on paper is just a fantastic window for Nottingham Forest. Yeah, definitely. All right, Ethan, you're loser of the January, 2023 transfer window. Yeah, uh, my loser for this transfer window is Manchester City. Uh, and there was really only one marquee transfer for Man City this window, and that is, of course, loaning out Yao Cancelo to Bayern Munich uh, for, with a 70 million buy option. It's certainly an interesting situation what's happened with Yao Cancelo. And just to think that at the beginning of the season... Nobody would bat an eyelash if you called him the best fullback on the planet. And how quickly it all went to shit for him pretty much at yeah. <laughs> Man City after the World Cup. Um, according to, I've read up on him a bit, and according to the people around him, he gets very disgruntled when he doesn't play. So after the World Cup, when 
he just wasn't getting into the team enough. Things deteriorated pretty quickly. And, you know, he, had, he was on poor form when he came back from the World Cup, uh, which pretty much started in Qatar. He kind of got dropped from the squad. He didn't play too much in the knockout stage. And when he came back to City, you know, he was still coming off the bench. And he just wasn't happy, especially in that Chelsea game. That first half when he got subbed off at halftime, he was completely ineffective. And Pep Guardiola did admit that he didn't use Cancelo in the right fashion. But nonetheless, he still didn't play Cancelo much and he wanted out and he got out. However, Cancelo still is one of the most talented fullbacks on the planet. Oh, yeah. And in spite of all the depth that City have, you know, along the front line and in the midfield, fullback is a different story. They have Rico Lewis, who's very, very young. I know Pep trusts him a lot, but he's still just emerging. And they have Kyle Walker, who's an injury-prone player who's been in and out of the team all season. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. They have the new signing, um, like, Sergi Gomez, but he's mm-hmm. barely featured for City this season. So... In spite of all City's depth, I really think that this was a position where I'm not quite sure they could afford to lose Cancelo. I think it may have been in their best interest to just, you know, reconcile things or just push through this period, you know, of turmoil with them to eventually just get him back to his best come crunch time in the season. And they haven't done that. And I think it could hurt them. I agree, and again, they let go. They let go of um, Alexander Zinchenko over the summer, um, who's another wing back option. So yeah, I mean they're pretty deep in a lot of spots, but wing back could be an issue. Kyle Walker isn't playing at the top of his game either. He's still very solid, but um, yeah, Kinsella was a bright spot for them last season. You know, PFA PFA Player of the Year, uh, not Player of the Year, but PFA Team of the Year, uh, contributor, I, I believe, um. Or at least damn near. So, yeah, a, a huge loss. Again, it wasn't like he was... It's like a big loss for them. Like, Byron took him away. Like, clearly this was a point of disgruntlement between him and Guardiola. So, um, I guess good for Cancelo to find a home. But it definitely raises some eyebrows from Man City's perspective. Um, So, now to round out the podcast, I'll give you my loser. And my loser... Um, this is one that's could be controversial. Chelsea Football Club, the team that has made the most waves in the uh, in the January transfer window, and made the most waves of any team in any transfer window. That is, uh, Chelsea Football Club brought in over three hundred pounds worth of signings in this January transfer window, which isolated. The headline, Chelsea bring in 300 pounds worth of signings in the January transfer window, isolated, is already a bad thing. You should not be shaking up the squad this much in January, no matter what. Unless you're like a team that is fighting relegation and need a spark from somewhere. Do not do that. When you add the fact that they have a manager that's on poor form. When you add the fact that they have a manager that cannot figure out the squad and have has been rotating players to find a set of players that works, now you bring in eight players, uh, one, two, three, three of them costing 35, 35 million or more. The top two, Enzo Fernandez and Mikhailo Mudrik, costing upwards of 80 million. And when you cost 80 million, you damn near deserve a spot in the squad. Enzo Fernandez pops right into the starting 11. Mudrick pops right into the starting 11. But now you got Batty Ashiel, who had a very, very good game against uh, Fulham. He was one of the bright spots. But, like, Gusto, Mood, Mood, uh, I'm going to butcher these names. Mood, Maduke, I believe, from PSP, 26 million. Yeah, Gusto, 26 million from Lyon, who's a wingback. Like, Fofana got in. Felix came in, comes in on low. Like, now, and now you've got Pulisic back there. Uh, Yang back now. These guys aren't even in the match day squads anymore. Like, you just given made his headache 
Now, granted, now he's got a lot of talent, but you've made a manager who is just just the worst, like, depressing, soccer depression of his life. And you've given him just 10 times more of a headache because not only have you brought in you if you want to bring in like 10, 10 million dollar signings, all like fucking Brazilian wingers that are like, will someday make the team. And now they're like options if you want to spot start them. Fine. But now you've brought in three players that are like damn near starters. And now you need to find a way to work in your squad that you're already trying to figure out with these new players. Like if you wanted to do this, this is already a bad idea in the summer. But if you want to do this, do it in the summer. Doing it in January with a new manager that has not figured out his squad and just shaking up a squad that much more is just a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. And I think it will backfire for them this season. In the long run, obviously bringing in 300 million pounds of new talent, it's probably going to work out for you at some level. However, Right now, it is a horrible, horrible idea, and I think they're going to pay for it in the short run, almost definitely. They already have, because the Fulham game was very disjointed from them, as their performances have been even before they brought in the players. It just makes gives him so much more of a headache, and I, I just, I can't understand it, and I don't know. I, it just doesn't, it, it doesn't seem like there's a real plan. It didn't seem, by the way, Enzo Fernandez is not worth 107 million pounds. Let's just get that out of the way right now. He is not even close to worth 107 million pounds. He had a great World Cup. He didn't have an amazing World Cup. He had a great World Cup. And mm. not only did he not have, like, it didn't sound like he had a great season. He had a great seven games. Yeah. Like, I, are you kidding me? 107 million? That's, that's some Benfica, like Darwin Nunez bullshit, where they were just mm-hmm. like, how high can we go? It, I don't know. I, they, they overpaid for Fernandez. Do they overpay for Modric? It's tough to tell right now. But, like, I, even if Anzo Fernandez turns out to be, a, like, a star, like, I still think they overpaid for him. But I don't know. Uh, it's just – and they're still starting Havertz up top. Like, not, not only did they bring in all these people, but, like, they didn't even fill the spot that was, like, their number one thing. I don't know. Anyway, uh, with that, we will round out the podcast for this week. Match week 23 coming up. Another tasty match week. In the wings. And with that, we will say goodbye. Adios. See ya.